Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's Laboratory. Ha 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 ha. You are listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall on Realm of the Mist Entertainment. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Chris Dolly back with Breaking the Fourth Wall, and today I'm honored and privileged to have Mr. Scott Schwartz joining me. Scott, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Excellent. Now, for everybody that's knowing, we're in that season time of year, and uh, uh, Mr. Scott Schwartz here is, uh, in fact, one of the people that were part of a lot of traditions in households for people during the holiday season. We'll get into that. I'm not going to start it now, but I promise you... Jessica, if you're listening, I promise you we will talk a little bit about it, all right? But uh, for people that don't know, um, Scott is a, uh, is a is a actor, and uh, you, you, you do a lot of things within the in- entertainment industry, not just acting. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. I do all kinds of stuff, man. <laughs> uh, can you give us some examples of some of the things that you're involved with besides uh, being in front of camera? I was a part of the WWF way, way back when, as free health, as they call it. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've repped celebrities for memorabilia signings, autograph shows, you know, travel, uh, you know, uh, uh, motivational speaking if I get hired. You know, whatever, wherever the wind blows, that's where you go. you got to make a living, you know? I hear that. Um, now, with the WWE, now, what, what or WWF, as you stated, um... What era was that? Was that during the oh, Attitude I, I, Era? I or there, No, I was there 80s. I was there, um, oh God, I was there uh, September of 85 until like January of 87. You must have been still really relatively young. Oh yeah, yeah. I was still in school. Wow, and you were, you were doing uh, free free what for them? I just call it free help. That's what I was. <laughs> I was I was the go to. Go to Scotty, he'll do it. You know. You need food, go to Scotty. You need something, go to Scotty. You need a pickup at the airport, you go to me. Uh-oh. Uh you know, I mean I picked guys up, brought them to the hotels, brought them to the arenas, did stuff with the ring in certain places, you know, certain arenas. Uh you know, uh, when when somebody goofed or somebody didn't show up, we had a night where uh, Roddy Piper was doing a Piper's pit. And Jimmy Snooker was on the show, and his plane either got delayed or he missed it or whatever it was. And uh, I ended up in the in Piper's pit with him and Don Morocco. You know, I was I was the run and do everything. Oh, okay. Well, you know, uh, you you may you don't know this, but uh, I'm a former independent professional wrestler. Uh, I worked for the independent circuit for close to twenty years. So I know this for a fact. Being in the wrestling industry, there's always a bunch of stories. You got any you want to share? Uh, let's see. Stories you want to share? Okay. Um, Jimmy Anvil Neidhart was a jokester. He was also the guy that inducted people. You know, you you joined onto the crew, you got inducted. Right. And uh, 
we were in, uh, oh God, I think it was Virginia. And uh, I think we were in, in Richmond. And we had this young kid that had just come on board, you know, as uh, a new guy. And uh, Jim took him to the bar after the event, got him drunk as a skunk, and had me go out and buy three bottles of Nair. Oh, no. Well, well, the kid, the kid passed out, and I ended up taking the Nair up to the kid's room, and Jim buried the kid in Nair from literally his toes all the way to his neck. Oh no! And I mean, it was, and I don't oh, know. They they took his clothes off, got him, just stripped him down, and buried him in there. I mean, it was beyond hilarious. I felt sorry for the guy at the end because he was a hurting puppy, but you know, <laughs> that was just just one of many. You know, the the Roach Motel because all he could afford was forty bucks a night. That's all that allowed. That was allowed. You know, that's all they gave you. Right. And uh, you know, Piper and I would go places. And, uh, you know, me and all the guys, whatever, but, I mean, I, I really meet with Nightheart, Piper several times, and a couple of the other guys, and uh, we were in Bethesda, Maryland, at this Ramada Inn, and it was a dump. I mean, it was, it, it was like the closest thing to Motel Hell you could possibly imagine. It, were, it was like roach-infected. Uh-huh. And uh, we, the two of us, just died laughing, because there was no we could dump. You know, we changed rooms, but then there was nowhere else to go. Right. And, uh, you know, but having, having, uh, being there at a time with, uh, Roddy, Randy Savage, and Elizabeth, Hogan, Beefcake, you know, uh, Andre, San Martino, a little bit, Jesse Ventura, it, it, it was just a whale of a time. Nice. You're, you're speaking names like it's just, it's, I'm remembering Saturday mornings and and Sunday mornings, you know, jumping jumping down to get my bowl of cereal, watching Saturday morning cartoons, followed up by, you know, WWF superstars or challenge, and you know, just watching them guys live, you know, well not live but pre-taped, whatever. It, we're talking before the Raw era, really, you know. So that that's that's. Oh, it's all pre-Raw. I mean, Raw wasn't even a thought. Right. You know. Uh, we used to laugh because the ring uh, was in an 18-foot Hertz truck. <laughs> and uh, Joey Morello, who was the, was the referee, he was also Gorilla Monsoon's son, he drove the ring around, you know, in this little buckus truck, you know, and it was, it was just like, what are you doing, you know? <laughs> and uh, I remember having a conversation with Vince in like 19... Oh, God, it was just before I left. It had to be around you know, late 86. And I said, you know, you bring all these lights in one truck and you bring these in this other little truck. Why don't you get a big truck that says WWF on it? It's a write-off and all that. And he says, hey, if we do that, it's going to get egged. It's going to get defaced. People are going to do graffiti on it. This way, nobody knows nothing and we just keep it quiet. And it's just a couple years later that Raw starts and they got 18-wheel tractor trailers with everybody's face on them. <laughs> Never fails. Never fails. Well, the, the, no. obviously wrestling was not where you got your start. Um, you know, why don't, we, why don't we start at the beginning then? How, how did you get involved even with the entertainment industry? Like, what even motivated you to get involved with it? Uh, it, it I mean, as they say, you know, it really wasn't my choice. It was, but it really wasn't. I mean, it was. 
Um, <laughs> I was attending a film club with my father from the age of like five and a half years old, and I was just past eight, and uh, one of the other guys in the film club, I was the only kid, he was producing a commercial and said, listen, I know you for a while, you're really outgoing, I'm doing this commercial, I think you'd be great at it, why don't you try? It was like, uh, okay, what am I, you know, what would I be doing? He's like, oh, you know, we're, it's down in Miami Beach, and we got a bunch of kids, and it's for Yoohoo Chocolate Drink, and we got Yogi Berra. Well, that was it. I was sold because I was a Yankee fan. I grew up in New Jersey. There you go, Jersey I'm going to meet Yogi, Yogi Berra. I'm going. Let's do it. My <laughs> father was like, okay, let's give it a shot. See what happens. And that uh, kind of started it, and, you know, then it was, you know, I did it, and was like, you're great. You got to meet people, and ended up getting to a couple of agents, and you start going out on auditions, and you start, you know, a career at eight and a half years old. What was that like, uh, being a child actor? Like, you hear so many horror stories, uh, and, and you've seen, you know, I, I don't mean to throw anybody under the bus or anything, but you've seen, like, the Macaulay Culkins and, and other uh, child actors like that where they've gone really far downhill. But you, on the other hand, obviously, you've had a very different experience. Uh, lucky, blessed, you know, uh, you know, pretty good upbringing, great friends, you know, I mean, I did movies, and, you know, I mean, yeah, I had an ego like everybody else would, and my friends were like, hey, you know, you're being kind of stupid, you know, it's just how you're going to be, you know, we'll go home now, <laughs> and it just always kind of stayed with me and kept me straight, and, you know, I, I, I had the benefit of working with incredible people who were willing to talk to me. Because I was used to being around adults, I was definitely more mature for my age. You know, so by the time I do the toy, you know, in 82, I'm 13, turning 14 years old, but I was an adult. You know, I could handle my own business. I knew what I was doing, come and go as I needed to do, other than drive myself, you know. <laughs> but, you know, you get up in the morning, they, they take you to the set. I made my own coffee. I made my bagel with cream cheese. You get in the makeup chair and the hair and you do the thing and you go to work. And that's what I did. And, you know, again, the, the massive benefit was having, you know, as, as much as Jackie Gleason was kind to me and nice to me, you know, I had Richard Breyer, who was, in my opinion, you know, the world's greatest teacher, very intelligent, kind, giving man. And he told me everything. There wasn't a topic that was off the board. There wasn't a filter on his mouth. <laughs> so he said, you know, listen, you're going to experiment in life. Drugs, alcohol, women, whatever it is. You got a question? Just call me. I'll tell you all about it. See, I've... I've... So there was, I'm sorry, There's no reason for me to go out and get blasted at 16 or 17 years old. That just wasn't me. And if I had a question, I called Richard and I said, listen, you know, a bunch of my friends, this and that. He goes, well, this is what happens. You're going to drink, you're going to kind of feel easy, you know, you're going to feel nice, okay, fine. Then you're probably going to overdo it, you're going to get sick, and you're going to vomit. Now, is that really what you want to do? Probably not. <laughs> so, I, I had the best teacher in the world. I, I've heard, like, I, I've never met the man personally, but I heard Richard Pl Pryor was, was very much a very down-to-earth guy. <laughs> well, there's two Richards. There's the before he burned himself up and the after he burned himself up. <laughs> okay. And I got the after version 
the before version was probably not nearly as nice, kind, uh, sharing, nothing. You know, he, he was into the, to the crack pipe and the coke and all the stuff and all that. And afterwards, he was a different guy. And he wanted to share the, uh, I don't want to say the Hollywood experience, but he wanted to share the knowledge that he had with somebody. His son really wasn't going to be an actor. And, you know, besides that, he had daughters. So, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I was kind of like the white son he never had. Right. So I got to be that guy, and I asked those questions. And he was more than willing just to go with the flow. That's awesome. Now, obviously, you brought up one of your one of your major major movies that that uh, most people would recognize you for. I mean, uh, even now, I think the toy is still very much a cult classic. Um, and of course, working with the likes of like legendary Jackie Gleason and and Richard Pryor. I, I've got to know some of the other catalogs. Like, what are some of the other movies that really stand out to you or, or you know, co-stars that, that really, really, you know, if you walked away from everything today, you would still sit there and be like, man, I loved when I worked with them or, or when I did this. You know, there, there really wasn't anybody I disliked or treated me badly. I was very lucky, like I said. You know, uh, I still talk to Teresa Ganzel, who was Fancy Bates, who was Jackie Gleason's wife in the film. I still see Richard Donner, our director. Um, Gleason and Pryor are gone. I actually, I just, I saw Ned Beatty a little while ago. He's, his health is, is not doing too well. Oh, but no. I did get a chance to go see him and, and talk to him. Um, you know, Christmas Story, I talked to all the guys, you know, all the boys. Um, Our director is gone. Uh, I saw the mom. I saw Melinda Dillon about a year ago. Um, she's okay, you know, just getting up there in age. Right. You know. Um, uh, oh, God. I mean, Kid Co. Uh, I, I I talked to my the girl that was my older sister, Elizabeth Gorski, once in a while. Um, uh, the other two sisters, I know one, my, Tristine Schuyler is in New York. And she became a writer and did some other things. But I haven't talked to her and the girl at Cinnamon Idols who played my little sister in the movie. I know she's in the Midwest. I think she's in Illinois. I think she's a nurse or something. I haven't talked to her in a while. But I was, I was very lucky. You know, I mean, I, you know, uh, Liza Minnelli was my mom in the show. And Jeff Dumont was my dad in the show. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to Jeff's new friend. He's been at places I just couldn't get to. And they've always said, oh, Scotty says hi. He's like, oh, tell him I said hi. You know, you know. Uh, you know, Liza, I've, I've seen a couple times over the years. I, again, just, you know, very lucky to have the people uh, that I worked with be a good group, no matter which situation I was in. Right. Now that the, 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 now I'm going to step into the, the world, because you, you, you mentioned it, you, you invoked a name. <laughs> um, and yes, again, my sister-in-law... Jessica, this is for you. Let's talk a little bit. Of, it is the season. Let's talk about the, a Christmas story. The the first question I've got to ask is, from the day of recording it or, or or you know filming it to the to today, can you believe how much of a holiday icon that movie has become? Or did you no, ever think it would become as beloved? No, 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 no
No, nobody can. It's like it's like hitting the lotto to a certain extent. You know, I mean, there's tens of thousands of movies that are made every year. They get thrown up on a wall. 99.9% of all of them fall to the floor and nobody remembers them. You know, this was a small movie. No big stars. No, you know, no CGI, no special effects. No, nothing. I mean, it's, it was a labor of love for Bob Clark, our director, and he wanted to make this movie and nobody else did. Not even MGM who made the movie wanted to make this movie. You know, literally nobody wanted to make this thing, and he just kept pushing and finally got it done, and uh, they expected nothing. MGM didn't even want to put it in the movie theaters, and Bob got together with uh, Darren McGavin, and they were going to buy the movie from MGM to give it a release, and MGM finally said, okay, we'll put it out there, and they put it out there for a little bit, okay, fine, it's, you know, it's made back its money and a few dollars more, okay, fine, they stick it on the shelf. You know, from 83 to 95, you know, it's on VHS, it's on cable a little bit, whatever. And then, you know, fortune takes a hand. Luck, luck has a way of, uh, of, of being there. And Ted Turner is buying the MGM library for CBS and TNT. And one of the movies at the very end that he bought was A Christmas Story. And they decided to do a marathon. And 96 on, the rest is history. <laughs> you know, but nobody, nobody thought this thing, you know, would be anything more than just a nice little movie. It's just a nice little movie, and it just became part of Americana. <laughs> how how did you first uh, feel knowing that you would play the role of Flick, and even more even more so, like was that the role that you had intended for when you tried out for the for the movie, when you auditioned? I didn't audition for any role. That's the fun part of this. I had I had just finished the I had just finished shooting another film, Kid Tell. Came home on December twelfth, I think I got home, and on the fifteenth, a couple days later, Bob Clark called me in front for a meet a meet and greet audition. Okay, so I go in and there's nobody else there, other than me, Bob, my father. There's no shooting video. There's no real audition. He just wanted to meet me. He wanted to meet me and shoot the bull, as they say, just to see what kind of kid I was. We talked for about maybe 15 or 20 minutes. He goes, you know, I didn't have lunch. Are you hungry? You want a hot dog? You're in New York. Sure. We go downstairs. We have a hot dog, you know, Kanish, whatever, Pepsi. Come back upstairs. He said, like, I'll tell you, it was great meeting you. I said, oh, thank you. Do you want me to read anything? No, you're all good. Okay. We were seven blocks from my agent's office and walked up just to say hi to her before we turned around and went home. And by the time we got there, she goes, what did you do? I said, well, we talked. We had a hot dog. We talked. I left. That was it. She goes, great. You got the movie already. (laughs) Wow. So my audition process was talking and having a hot dog. Okay. If only they were all that easy. They sent me the script. I had the lead in the toy, and I had the lead in Kitco, so I'm figuring I'm Ralphie. I studied the whole script. I'm learning the whole script. <laughs> Nobody says otherwise. We get up to the table reading in Toronto before we started shooting, and Bob goes, okay, uh, Peter, you're going to play Ralphie, and Zach, you're going to play Scott Barkett, the bully, and Yano, you're going to play Grover Dill, and Scott, you're going to play Flick, and RD, you're going to play Schwartz, and I went, wait, 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 Flick? And I didn't say anything out loud. It's just in my head. And I kind of was like, okay. 
and I go back and I look through the script. Now, I know I'm working five weeks. That's what I'm scheduled to work. Right. And I look through the script, and Flick has 16 lines. That's all dialogue is 16 lines. And I'm going, 16 lines in five weeks? Oh, my God, what a vacation this is going to be. <laughs> I worked one day a week. And I, I ended up actually working six weeks. But I worked one day a week. You know? So it was nothing more than a nice character role. Okay, a supporting role. You know, never thinking what would happen would happen. I actually said to Bob afterwards, I'm like, are you sure this? You know, I had to leave. And he goes, oh, no. Oh, no, you're flicked. There's no question. You're going to do great. It's not the size of the role. It's what you make out of it. And you're going to be dynamite. Okay. And the rest, as they say, is history. Who knew? Well, he's, he's not exactly wrong either. I mean, anybody who's who's watched A Christmas Story, which, you know, who hasn't nowadays? I mean, you remember you, rem- yeah, you, you remember everything. You remember, you know, the, the you'll shoot your eye outline. You remember Ralphie in, in the uh, pink bunny outfit. And, of course, you remember Flick and the infamous flagpole. Yeah, but, I mean, again, you know, can, can I say that there was a reason, you know, Bob knew I could do anything. I had worked with Byron Gleason. I had just done another film. He knows I can do anything. The toy was open in the theaters. He had already seen it. He knew I could ad-lib. He knew I could just wing it, as they say. I could just go from zero to 100, go, and I did it. And he knew that. So, I mean, in the script, the original script, it just says, lick, stick, tongue, the pole. That's it. Stick, tongue, flag, pole. That's all that's there. All that stuff that I did, that's just all made up. He just said, think of something, do it, I'll tell you if I like it or not. And I just went off. And at first he's like, that's good, I like that, I like that, but give me more, just, but just give me more of that. You know, okay, so I exaggerated, went more, and then, he, then we, did, we stopped, and he goes, nope, nope, you had it right the first time, do it the way you did it the first time. Okay. <laughs> and that's what you end up seeing on the screen. And, and does it make it more memorable? I guess. You know? You know, I guess, because that's what people tell me, so I'll go with it. Yeah, I've heard... I'm not the ego guy. I don't pat myself on the back. I just try to do the job that I was paid to do. Right. But I, I have heard I have heard from our, our mutual friend um, that you actually had another uh, person who's famous for his tongue uh, acknowledge that oh, you... Oh, listen, it's, 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 it's the most terrible thing on planet Earth, really. That, I mean, my joke with Gene Simmons of Kiss is I, I said to him and Shannon, listen, I'm honored to have the second most famous tongue on the planet. It's okay, I'll take number two. <laughs> and, and and he's cracked up, she's cracked up, you know. We've, we've, we've laughed and joked several times about it. And, uh, I mean, he gets his teeth out of it. Because there's really nobody else that can say that. That's true. That is true. But, uh... You know, I'm like um, the big thing I want to I want to ask you here because we we are coming up on the half hour mark here already. Time flies quickly. Um, you you had stated to step off of the Christmas story here. You had stated that you uh, you do a lot of like the autograph signings and set setting setting up things like that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that what you're heading to the East Coast to do uh, here real soon? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm heading off in a couple of days. I mean, today's the third that we're recording this, and I'm leaving, uh, I'll be in um, uh, King of Prussia at the 
casino at a show called The Philly Show. It's, it's a sports and memorabilia show. They've got Emmett Smith. They've got the Legion of Doom, Eric Lindros, and Eric LeClaire, and the other guy I can't think of his name, from the Flyers. they got a bunch of Eagle guys there. they got four guys from the Mighty Ducks that are going to be there, and I'm going to be there. So I'll be there for uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then Tuesday I'm over in uh, York, Pennsylvania at a mall doing a, a signing, uh, you know, an appearance at, at a mall. So I do get out and about. Uh, actually, and then the next Wednesday, which is, I think, the 12th, wait, the 10th, the 12th, I think, is, is Wednesday, um, I will be in Flemington, New Jersey, uh, no, the 11th. The 11th, I will be at um, R&C Collectibles in Flemington, New Jersey on Route 22 doing an appearance. So I do get out and about. Nice. So, guys... Check it out, uh, the, the tri-state area. We, we do broadcast out of Philadelphia. Uh, you heard it here. Um, go check out those locations and times to be able to meet uh, Mr. Scott Schwartz and, and of course, uh, all the fun things that are involved with what he's involved with, whether it's the sports memorabilia or the uh, the, the uh, collectible place. You know, Go check it out. I definitely want to make sure you guys go there. In fact, if any of the listeners do go there, and you do meet uh, Scotty. Make sure you mention that you heard it, heard him on Realm of the Mist Entertainment with Breaking the Fourth Wall. So that way he knows that like people actually listen to us. <laughs> but, there you go. But uh, yeah, that that's that's phenomenal. What else? What else have you uh, got going on? I mean, uh, the podcast does go worldwide, so it doesn't have to necessarily just be the East Coast. Well, uh, coming up early in the year, I'm going to have a show on LA Talk Live. Uh, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, the Hollywood Hour with Scott Schwartz. Uh, sometime middle of January, maybe the end of January. We haven't decided on the exact date yet, but I'll be doing a, an hour an hour show on the air. And uh, my book will be out next year. Uh, it's called Whatever Happened to Me is the title. Nice. And that, that... So that, that'll be out there. So there's, there's all these things going on. I'm doing a film at the end of the year. Uh, the uh, Christmas wrestling movie, which is going to be funny. A Christmas um, wrestling movie? Okay, you have my Christmas interest. Christmas wrestling movie, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't think it's pro wrestling, though. I think it's more like, you know, child uh, amateurish wrestling. Oh, okay. And uh, then I'm doing a, a psycho thriller in April. And if you put a gun to my head, I couldn't tell you the title. But, you know, it'll be out there. <laughs> And the book that's that that's going to be available like at any bookstore and of course uh, at uh, Amazon. Oh yeah, like that. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We're looking at around September, so we got some time for that. You know, we can. I'll come back and visit you again, and we can talk about it. Oh, know? absolutely! But, uh, I would love to have you back. You know, it's all it's all the stories. I mean, there's you know chapters on Richard Pryor and the boy, and this chapter on Christmas story and my life and experiences, and you know, I've been I've been very fortunate to cross a lot of different, you know, genres between Hollywood and wrestling and different, you know, sports, baseball, basketball guys, friends, uh, you know, uh, meeting all the people I've met over the years, the place I've gone, the experiences. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a roller coaster book. It's up and it's down. It's up and it's down, you know, but it, it'll be worth people checking out because, you know, I put things in there. Nobody says I'm not. I'm not new school PC. All that nonsense. I'm old, man. I I got 
you know, some old values, and I, I believe in certain things, and, you know, I don't, uh, I don't sugarcoat anything. You know, there's good, there's, I say the good, the great, the bad, and the ugly. That's just the way that life is. Uh, that's refreshing. Uh, I'm not a person that buys into that uh, modern culture either. So, I, I keep things I keep things light on on some of my podcasts because you know I expect the younger audiences to be listening. But uh, yeah, if we tell, re- all, if, tell them tell them all nothing in life is free. Get a job and work like the rest of them. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> you know, there it is, man. You know, work, pay your bills. Do what you're supposed to do. Take care of your responsibilities. Don't expect to get bailed out at every single turn. You know, life is not easy. Life is hard. But it is what you make it. You know, life is what you make it. I get up every day. I'm happy to be here. Smile. Enjoy every day. You know, uh, life is a, is a fishbowl. Some people, they go to one job for 30 years. Their fishbowl is pretty small because they only have a certain amount of people in that fishbowl. My fishbowl is enormous. I've been networking for, you know, 40 years. And what happens, though, is as you get older, other people get older, and you lose people along the journey, you know? Right. And I've lost many. I've lost many, many along this journey. And the question becomes, why am I still here? What am I supposed to do? And and why, you know, am, am, am I, uh, or what is my responsibility? You know, is it to educate others? Is it to give? Is it to be kind and a good person? Is it to inform people of things, share the wealth, you know, and the knowledge, the wealth of knowledge that I have for doing this for so long? You know, and so that's what I've tried to do. You know, tell people the way that it is. Again, if you sugarcoat things, that's not reality. You know, oh, it's going to be okay. That's not always the answer. You know? No. You know, there's, there's, I mean, I've got, you know, I mean, I went through MS with Richard Pryor and I saw him go downhill and I saw what happened, you know, and, and to the very end, I saw him a few months before he passed, you know, and there's another, there's an actress right now in Hollywood, people know who she is, and, you know, and, and I've met her a couple of times and she's just an absolute sweetheart and she's going through it oh. and I have to be supportive, you know, but I know what's coming because I've seen it already. So while you you have to be supportive, you have to hold in what you know, but you have to share the good times, the smiles, the laughs, you know, the goodness of life being here today, because tomorrow is not a given. Tomorrow is a blessing. If you're here tomorrow, it's a blessing. Don't take it for granted. Smile every day. Make a joke every day. Try and enjoy yourself, because this thing goes by fast. If you'd have told me when I was in high school... You know, you blink your eyes and 30 years goes by. That just doesn't make any sense to me. But here we are. No, you're not wrong. And uh, I, I I definitely feel it close to home. I have a friend, uh, actually, uh, my my friend's uh, wife, or, well, ex-wife now, but uh, she and I she and I were close for so many years, and unfortunately she's going through the, the, the situation with MS as well, so that hits very, very close to home. So... Yeah, I mean, that's just one thing, you know, life is, life is strange, you know, we just have to live it, whatever happens, it's going to be good, it's going to be bad, that's just the way life is, if you turn 18 years old and you win the lotto, good for you, don't piss it all away, 
you know, there are, there are, there's a younger generation now of, of, of people that are, you know, in their 20s who have sold millions of records and done all the shows and the touring of the world, and they're worth 200, 300, 400 million dollars. I won't say who it was, but I ran into one of them not too long ago, you know, within a couple of years ago. And I was not a fan. That's not my kind of music. I'm old, man. I'm not into this artsy, you know, these little kids bubblegum crap and all this. No! You know, you play the Beatles, Elvis, Journey, Sinatra, Bon Jovi. You give me that stuff on, you know, this stuff's garbage. <laughs> and I, I, I met him in a one of those, you know, easy moments. There wasn't many people around. And I just talked to him and I said, dude, you have the world by the cojones. Enjoy every single day. You got enough. You need this like you need a hole in the head. Go find a nice woman. Go get married. Go buy a house out of Hollywood. Go find a life, and you don't have to worry about anything. And I mean, I think he's now late twenties. Well, he got married and he bought a house somewhere else, and you know he still dabbles and whatever. But my, you know, his 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 guys, his entourage. His, his head guy said to me, where did you come from? People don't talk to him like this. I said, because I'm not a fan. <laughs> I don't care how many albums he records. I could care less. I want to see him live a good life. Don't be stupid. Don't piss it all away. You know, live, you'll have enough money for generations of your family. Your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, they can all live off this money if you don't just piss it away. You know? So maybe that's what I was supposed to do. Give advice, you know, share, you know, the knowledge of, of the decades of doing this stuff and understanding people get on hardship. People, you know, don't always have it easy. He had it easy. Okay, then live it that way. Just don't get crazy. You well, know. You're not wrong. And I can almost I can almost see you uh, starting your own podcast and uh, just giving advice. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are parents of kids in show business who have asked me about things, and I think it's the way that it is. And they're like, well, you know, the agent said this, the agent said that. I said, I'm not here for 10%. <laughs> I'm here for nothing. I'm talking to you for nothing. I'm giving you knowledge and experience that I've gone and I've seen for four decades, 70s, 80s, 90s, zero, one. I mean, it's the fifth decade. Don't want to get ready to go on the sixth decade of this nonsense. <laughs> this is how it is. This is how it goes. It's going to be good. It's going to be bad. You know. But, you know, I just, I, I try and say it the way that it is and tell people, listen, you might want to do this. You might not want to do that. You don't have to take my advice. I'm just giving you advice based on what I've seen with many others. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. You know, absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm friends with most of the the people in my generation. You know, my group of, of kids, so to speak. Uh, you know, from Alfonso Ribeiro to Schroeder to Jeremy Miller and Tracy Gold and Todd Bridges and Kathy Silvers and Scott Bayo and you know uh, Keith Coogan. Uh, oh God! I mean, you know, there's a group of us, you know, and we all talk. You know, we don't we support each other, not financially, 
just somebody needs a phone call, somebody gets a phone call. Something happens, somebody gets a phone call. You know, we are we are our support group because we know everything that we've all gone through. Well, I could definitely I could definitely say with the with the name dropping like that, if tell them if any of them would like to come on a uh, podcast, pass them my number. <laughs> you know, we there's 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 things that people say in in the world of the internet because you know they're sitting behind a desk and they don't get any feedback feedback or blowback so to speak right you know we're ha- we're has-beens we're this we're that and I'm going you gotta be somebody before you're a has-been you know and again I can only speak for myself you know I was honored to have a life-size bronze statue put up of me erected of me in Hammond Indiana the home of Gene Shepard the writer of Christmas story there's there's less than 30 in the world of actors in different places and I'm one of them Somebody wants to call me a has-been and all that crap. You know what? Enjoy. Because the things that I did will outlive me and outlive them. So I left something behind. And if it brings a smile to somebody's face, and it brings a laugh because they remember something, then I did good. No, you're not wrong. And I, I it's funny because I used to, when, again, when I was an independent pro wrestler, I used to call myself the has-been who never was, you know, because I never made it out of the independent circuit. But you're absolutely right. Uh, when I when I retired from, from wrestling, I used to tell people, you know, about being a former wrestler, and they're like, but you never made it to the E or, you know, whatever. You never made millions of dollars, so that was a failure. I said, was it really, though? Because I've got stories to tell friends and family and my children and, you know, there's still videos of me in the ring floating out there somewhere, you know. it Like you said, it'll outlive me. It may not be, you know, the pinnacle I'm not living the high life, but I've done extraordinary things that not a lot of people get to do. And for me, that was good enough, you know what I mean? <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, listen, I mean, I've done a lot of things in my life. I've had a lot of experience. It took me... 40 years to do one thing I always wanted to do and that was get in the ring myself. Oh, now see, I gotta hear about this. And and I'm not, I'm not a big boy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm five foot two and I'm probably 15 pounds overweight. Okay, fine. And I ended up down in Memphis hanging out with Jerry Lawler, Jerry the King Lawler. And he was going to a gig in Mississippi, which was like a, an hour and a half drive. So he said, come on, let's go. Okay. So I went with him and I talked to the promoter. He's like, you got to do something. You got to get involved in this. And I said, well, let's figure something out. So I ended up, uh, his name is uh, Hollywood Jimmy Blaylock. And he runs a, a independent down there. And he's the Twinkie man because he's a big, heavy, set guy. So at the end of the match, I get in the ring and I shove a Twinkie in his face. And the heel, his name's Stan Sierra. I love saying those guys' names because they deserve credit for this stuff. Right. And Stan throws me in the turnbuckle and he flashes me twice and they take me off in the stretcher with the uh, with the neck brace that I just happened to bring with me, you know. <laughs> and uh, eight months later, I come back and I'm down there. It was in a casino in Luna, Mississippi. I mean, it's phenomenal. And we're doing this thing, and uh, 
again, we get done toward the end of the match, and uh, I get in the ring, and we push it, we push one of the other guys in the tag match, whatever, and Jerry and I are standing next to each other, and Stan charges us in the corner. We both move. He hits the turnbuckle. He falls down. Well, this is nine months later, and I basically I turned into Andy Kaufman because I'm still wearing the neck brace. <laughs> nice. So I, I tear off the neck brace, and I tear off the button-down shirt that I'm wearing, and underneath it, I've got my Macho Man shirt on. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I, I go to the corner. I got up to the top turnbuckle and did the, the 12, 14-foot flying elbow finish on San Sierra. Nice. And Jerry well, lets you I get waited, the pinfall, right? I waited I waited 40 years to do that. <laughs> you know? And I mean, and I told I, I told all the boys. I mean, I called my Annie Popo, Randy's brother. I told him I'm doing it. He says, listen, if you need any training, you need this or that. And I said, listen, I'm just jumping off the top. I should be fine. You know, there's a, a local wrestling school near me. A guy named Bo Cooper in Moorpark, California runs it. And he's a friend, and I went over and I trained with him. But I mean, Ho- I mean, I told Hogan what I was doing. I told Hulk Hogan, <laughs> and 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 Hulk's like, brother, you want to come to my place? I'll hang and bang with you. I'll train. I'll give you some tips. I'm like, I'm like Hulk. I'm like, I'll be okay, big guy. Don't worry. You know, and it was hysterical. Everybody was like, you've got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well, you know, I mean, it. Uh, it's just one of those things. It, it, it was meant to be. I was meant to be with Jerry so I could get involved and do this. You know, and other people have called me and said, hey, do you want to? I'm like, listen, I'm not in shape for that, man. <laughs> you know? You know, but, you know, I mean, I can handle myself in the ring. You know, I, I probably worked 150 matches. Right. So, you know, could I could I do stuff in the ring? Sure. You know, am I going to get crazy like some of these guys doing moon songs? No, I can't do that stuff. There's no way. <laughs> you know, can I do a couple of jumps? Can I do, you know, neck breakers? I, yeah, sure. You know, okay, I can do that stuff. You know, but it's just life and it's fun. And that's, that's the thing, you know, it's just, it's meant to be enjoyed. And that is something to take away from it too, is guys, make sure you go out there, kiss your girl, smell the roses. Like, uh, like Scotty said, tell a joke, just have fun in life. Might as well have fun. Nobody oh. gets out of it alive anyway. Exactly. You know, we uh, we don't know. You know, life is fickle. You know, I mean, I've, I've lost quite a few along the way. You know, Jonathan Brandis at 27, gone. You know, Corey Hamas, not quite 38, gone. You know, these were my contemporaries. These were guys that I knew. You know, Jonathan I didn't really know all that well, but in passing. Um, but, but Corey Hamas was a friend and, you know, a little brother. Right. And I miss him every day, and it's just like, why Why are some still here, and why are some not here? You know, but I'm here. So you know what? I'm going to live today, and I'm going to enjoy and have fun and, and, and make people laugh. And, you know, we, we live in a crazy world now. You know, everything is just, you know, ass backwards, and people just want to uh, think crazy thoughts and live not the way we've lived, and... You know, they, they, they want to parade around, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. You know, I understand how life, how short this life is. You guys want to do that? Go and enjoy. I'm going to laugh at all of you. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Schwartz, I've got to say it. This has been a wonderful interview. I absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on. 
I, uh, oh, it was great, man. This is, this is, you know, anytime I, I mean, I don't mind talking about the, the acting and stuff. I love talking sports and wrestling and vintage movies and all that kind of stuff. It's been, it's been a blast, man. Hey, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Uh, this isn't the only podcast we have on Realm of the Mist Entertainment. It's an umbrella company where we have multiple different shows about multiple different topics. Uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall is the one where I do interviews, but I mean, we have shows like uh, a show of ours called After Hours, which is literally us sitting around for an hour trying to make each other laugh. You are more than welcome to come on any one of them. <laughs> Doesn't even have to be an interview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm 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 a, a I'm a storyteller. Richard Pryor taught me to be a storyteller. You know, right. so I enjoy that part of what I do, and if it makes people laugh, that's great. If it makes people think, that's great. You know, not have to hurt anybody. You know, I mean, you know, when when you know, I mean, I've I've said things in the past, and you know, it hasn't always rubbed people the right way, so to speak. You know, and um, yeah, I'll give you for instance, real quick. Sure. I'm doing, I'm doing a show a couple of years ago, and, and a guy asked me in my lifetime if, if I had ever used the N-word. And that's a pretty hot-button topic. Right. And I said to him, brother, I, and I don't know if this guy's a uh, uh, black guy, white guy, I have no idea. And I said, I was friends with Richard Flyer for over 20 years. Are you asking me that question? <laughs> and, he, and he said to me, well, then you're racist. And I said, dude, you picked the last guy on planet Earth for that answer the last guy you know I, mean, I can count I can't count on my hands and feet how many people of color I'm friends with that I break bread with that I've been on trips with and shared enormous amount of good times with and I've cried when their parents have passed away and, and I've shared funerals and weddings and it's like you know first of all I'm Jewish Right. You know, and that's just not something that we do. You know, we're all inclusive. You want to come in, come on in. Just be a good person. That's all that I ask. Right. Have respect and be a good person. And we're good. You know? But that is... Life, life is... life is strange and life is weird. But don't be, don't be a bad person. There's no reason. Don't dislike somebody because they don't necessarily believe all of the same things you do. That doesn't make them a bad person. We live in America. We're supposed to have freedom of, of speech, freedom of choice. Not you tell me what I'm supposed to think. That's not how I was brought up. That's not the world I lived in. You're you know? not, you're not so wrong. I, I just I just tell people, what are you doing? Worry about your own stuff. I'll worry about my stuff. I won't tell you how to live. Don't tell me how to live. But I'll tell you what, though, if I'm going to tell you a joke, I want you to laugh. That's it. That that you're not wrong. And and I mean, you're you're hitting you're hitting the nail right on the head. Like a lot of the things that drive me nuts in, in modern society today is like the no win scenario that they throw at people. Like like the uh, N word uh, conversation the man had with the, the gentleman had with you, where. You know, if you would have said that you used it, obviously you're a racist because that's a racial word. However, you stated you didn't use it, and automatically he's like, well, then you're racist. That's a no-win scenario. What's the right answer? You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I can't, I can't say I've never said that word in my life. That would be lying. Right. But there had, to be a, there had to be a reason why. And there actually was a reason why. I don't want to get into that right now, but no, I somebody, said the wrong, 
somebody said the wrong thing to me, I said the wrong thing back to them. But you know what? Two wrongs don't make a right. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying that's what happened. At the end of the day, I was the one who was getting the handshake and, and getting the, you did the right thing. Right. Well, you know? that, that was one of the other things but, I was going to state about society that drives me up a wall is, is uh, we used to celebrate diversity, differences, differences of opinions, differences of style, differences of culture we, here in America. Am I wrong in that? We used to celebrate that. We, we thought there was something beautiful about the, for lack of a better term, the melting pot. But now in today's society, it's, it's, it's you're either like us or you're wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's, just, that's not the way that it goes. You know, if, if somebody disrespects you and you react, that doesn't mean you're a racist person. That means you're reacting to the situation at hand. That's all that it means. Right. You know, I, I you know, I... You know, it's the craziest thing. You know, no, you're... I mean, I'm 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 a believer in a lot of things. You know, racism is not one of them. You know, it, it's sort of funny because you know everything that's going on, the world is crazy. Whatever. I actually have a friend of mine. He lives in the Emirates, and he's Muslim, and he comes in for the WWF WrestleMania, and he comes in for other events and whatever. We've had dinner, we've hung out, and he's on my Facebook. Oh, we chit chat and whatever. Do people will tell me, oh, well, you said this therefore. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I'm inclusive. If you are respectful to me, I will be respectful to you. And everybody should think that way. Don't dislike somebody just because they don't look like you or they don't sound like you. If they're disrespectful, that does not look good for them. You know, I, I am a proponent for law enforcement, the police, CIA, FBI, Secret Service, whatever. Right. Those guys ask me for something. They uh, they want something, a donation for their, their thing. They want signed pictures, whatever it is. I will never say no to the veterans of this world, or, you know, of our country that fought for us and, and served for us. I support those people. Some disrespectful to them. How can I possibly have respect for this person? Now, see... You're telling me about signed pictures and everything else. You, you you put a thought in my head I can't do. I, I can't do it on air. Never mind. <laughs> uh, no, you can't. So you can't. You can't ask for stuff on the show. That doesn't work. You see. That that's what I was gonna say. Well, not for me. Not not for me. I I would never disrespect a. a, a, a... No, I know. I know. <laughs> but, you know. But you know, have respect for others. They should have respect for you. The minute that it that that goes south, it just goes down the toilet, then it becomes hard, you know, if people are just stupid, you know, and what they say is stupid, you can't look at that person and go, what a genius, no, it doesn't work like that, they're an idiot, you know, have your eyes open, fill your mind with information from, from many different sources that we get, be it the internet, be it different television stations, don't just watch one thing, watch seven things. You know, believe what you want to believe, but watch everything to, so your, your, your fountain of information is more than just one place and go, oh, that's what I have to believe. No! You know, our world is difficult right now, but we 
we're just trying to survive. Listen, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm over 50 years old now, and I don't have to put up with most of this crap. You know, I hear that. I'm 42, so I, I've reached that threshold of no longer caring to be involved in the crap. You know. <laughs> no, I just wanna. I listen. I just wanna enjoy. If I express an opinion that somebody doesn't agree with, and I've had that happen many times, I go, okay, then give me the logic behind what you're saying. If it's logical and sensible, I'll go with you. If it's not logical, it's not sensible. It's it's you live in fantasy land. I can't go with you on that. No, well, you, you, you're, I, I, you're hitting the nail right I, on the head. I, I really, I, I've gotten to be very uh, insightful, and I've always been a people watcher. So I watch people, I listen to people, and you know, it, it's screwy. You know, we got multimillionaires, we got movie actors spouting stuff about capitalism. You know, there's one that just happened the other day, you know, talking about capitalism. And I'm like, okay, so you live in a multi-million dollar house in a gated community with security guards, but you want to change capitalism. Okay, so sell your house, give away all your money, go live in a two-bedroom apartment, a little schmucky town, and tell me how much fun you're having. <laughs> Oh man, I'm hearing my own voice. <laughs> you know, tell me again. Am I totally right? Probably not. But am I way off base? Probably not. You know, if 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 you're gonna talk the talk, walk the walk. Don't just slap your lip and do nothing. You know, I mean, we have multi-billionaire billionaires out there giving their money away all over the globe. All over the globe. Mm-hmm. And they all live in the United States. They live in the United States. But they're giving their money away. I'm going, how about right here at home? There's homeless. You know, there's veterans that need, you know, care. They need either, you know, they need a place to live. They need food. They need medical attention. Why don't you just donate some of that money over here and, and help these people, the homeless, the, the, you know, the people that need help in our country. But that doesn't seem to happen enough. Maybe it happens a little, but it certainly doesn't happen enough. Nowhere near you know, enough. I live, you know, I live outside of L.A., you know, and there are tons of places in L.A. I don't go anymore. I won't go to Venice Beach now. It's all homeless. It's just nothing but, you know, tents and, and homeless people. That's... But we shouldn't have that in this country. No, There's not in this country. There's just way too much money here. No, not at this con- not in this country, not at all. It should not. It should not be at all. Whether off as bad as it is today. Yeah, well, you know, you're not you're not in in Los Angeles or California in San Francisco. I mean, there's more money here than any other state in the union, and yet we got more homeless than everywhere else. What? I'm going. Well, what's wrong with this picture? You're you're not wrong. You're not wrong, and it can't be blamed on just the cost of living in California either, unfortunately, which I know is pretty high to begin with. But I mean, even here, even here in Philadelphia, you see the downtrodden, the, the homeless, and the. I mean, you go downtown, Center City, you, you'll see it yourself, man. You know, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, listen, I, spent, I spent many, many. I spent more nights in Philly than you could possibly imagine way back when, <laughs> and it was a beautiful city. I was there. The Spectrum, 80, 
81, 82, 83 with the 76ers, man. Dr. J was my friend. He's still my friend. I can't tell you how many basketball games I went to. How many times WWF I was at the Spectrum and picking up guys at the airport and going down Broad Street to the Hershey Hotel, dropping guys off, you know, and, and seeing beauty. And now it's not that way. No. Well, what's happened? Why hasn't people, why haven't people taken action so that this doesn't happen? You know, Philly's a beautiful city. It's one of the most beautiful cities in our country. You know, it's just filled with history and knowledge and incredible buildings and all of the, you know, the things that are there, the Liberty Bell and every other damn thing. It's like, how have you let this gone to crap? Because people stop caring about the city, stop caring about their neighbors, stop caring about the community, stop caring about brotherly love, and started worrying about themselves. And of all pe- and of all places, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That's what it's known for. And yep. they sort of forgot that. And now it's like, oh well, we need to do something. It's like you're ten years too late. Now you don't have to do something. Now you do have to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You've really got to change the dial now. You've got to be willing to change everything to get these people off the street and get food on their table and jobs and whatever it is, you know. And, and I know that, you know, Philly is a very, you know, democratic, you know, city and all of that and whatever. Mm-hmm. You've got to look at the people in charge and you gotta, you got to make them responsible. You gotta say you're responsible for this. You gotta change this. If you don't want to change it now, we got to get somebody else in here who will change it. You know, Baltimore is the same way. Baltimore is a gorgeous city, yeah. and here we go. You know, we see it, and we just, you know, people flap their gums and they don't do anything. You're not it's wrong. Sad. You're not wrong at all. A lot, a lot needs to change in a lot of places, and, it, and you know what? Like, like you mentioned, a lot of the places that uh, that 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 we see these problems may be uh, democratic led, but it, it has nothing to do with having liberal or conservative values. It is simply human values. We need to stop talking about human values and start showing human values, and we can do it right here at home. That is the God's I, honest I truth. I feel the same way. I, you know, I, I don't. If it's blue or red, Democratic, Republican, I don't care. Do something. And if you're not doing something, then somebody else has to get in there. Who will do something? You know? I've I've never been one way or the other. I've always been an up-the-middle guy. Mm -hmm. You know? I, I want what's best for the people. But you can't continue to take if you're not willing to give back. If you're going to raise taxes for a reason, then damn Skippy, do something with that money. Other than lining their own pockets, but that's another show. <laughs> how, how how do schools how do schools not have money? The whole thing about the lottery in this country was for the schools. It's money for the schools, along with the taxes you pay. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're a homeowner. I'm a homeowner, and I. Part of my property tax goes to the school. Oh. I don't have any kids, so I don't use any of that money. I don't put a kid in public school. I don't have kids, but I give like a lot of the other people that live in my area. 
we don't have kids. How do the schools not all have money? Oh, yeah. How? Where does the money go that it was supposed to be allocated for schools? The I... people that aren't doing the right thing with that money, <sighs> they need to go. You're, you're not wrong. Again, here in Philly, they incorporated a sugar tax. Uh... Just in the city limits, it's not it's not like statewide or anything. Three uh, percent uh, additional sales tax on top of the city and state tax, which is already high. You know, you purchase a soda, you have to pay, you know, the dollar for the soda, eight cents for for city and state tax, and an additional three cents tax for sugar. Now, that tax was supposed to go to schools and roads. That's what they promised. But our schools are still inadequate, and our roads are like a post-apocalyptic demilitarized zone. Please tell me where the money is. There you go. <laughs> you know, there you have. It, it, it's absolutely sad, but, you know, one one voice can't make a difference, but one voice can start the difference. If the voice is sensible and logical... You have to be sensible, sensible and logical. You can't stand on a podium and say everything is free. Doesn't work like that. This is not how we're built. We're capitalistic society. You can't say, oh, we're going to give everybody free health care. Trust me, everybody's paying for it. Mm-hmm. But this is what is said. That's not logical. And if you do the numbers, any person who says, oh, yes, of course I want that, they don't understand that their $100,000 college education, tuition, whatever, it's going to end up costing 350000 over the course of their lifetime, their parents' lifetime, their grandparents, their brothers, their sisters, whoever doesn't go to school is going to pay a tax so you could get your free college. Congratulations. Well, see that that, that you, you're bringing up a topic that has always always bothered me with people like, and I'm, I'll use the healthcare thing as an example. You know, um, I'm a trade worker during the day. I'm a uh, I'm a fence installer. Okay, so I'm going to use more pedestrian than probably necessary for for the description here. But when people always talk about like free healthcare and 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 all that, to me, it's like the equivalent of Somebody expected me to install a fence for nothing. Okay, yes. Should people be taken care of? Should there be ways to, to work with people of low income or no insurance or, you know, not great insurance? Absolutely. There should be because, you know, life is a right. But health, you got to remember that insurance is covering the labor cost of the nurses, the doctors. Uh, paying for the prescriptions and the labors of people who have designed those medications or those equipment that's being made. Nobody has a right to somebody else's labor. And that's something they seem to forget. Part of what you're paying for in healthcare, well, we can argue the point of it, if it's too high or not too high, is you're paying for somebody else's time and service. <laughs> you know, well, of course. But, if, if I'm but wrong, please point. tell me I'm wrong. The way, the way our system was set up, first of all, everybody does have health care. They just don't always know about it. There are free clinics, which are 
doctors and nurses just like every other hospital. But they're made specifically for, you know, the lower-income people. I know. I had a situation a long time ago with a friend of mine who was black who went into cardiac arrest in my car. Okay? okay. I drove him to a regular hospital, and they said, does he have health insurance? I said, I have no idea. You have to ask him. Well, of course, he didn't. They would not treat him. They gave him a vomit bag and sent me to the free clinic. As it ended up, as we got to the free clinic, he actually redlined. He flatlined in my car. He died in my car. Oh, boy. Thank God I was in the just pulling into the parking lot. I ran inside. They pulled him inside. They juiced him up. They brought him back to life. But he had flatlined. It was a free health clinic. He had to produce a pay stub that he only made so much money. And they, I think they charged him 50 bucks. 50 bucks to save his life? Yeah, okay. We're good with that. 50 bucks. To, it was a free health clinic. They did have something that they did actually have to charge for. I don't exactly remember what it was. You thought a long time ago. But the point is, is those are all over the country. They don't have them everywhere, but they have them a lot of places. Right. Now, our healthcare system was set up a certain way. This is how it was set up. You can't turn around and say to any taxpayer of any state, city, whatever, you have to pay more now so you can give them medical. You're paying for their medical. That's not how the system works. You and I... We work. We have a job. We make a certain amount of money. Okay, fine. Since when did somebody else become my responsibility? Exactly. That's not how it works. Not how it's ever worked. You want to say we're inhumane because we didn't know. When the day that they live under my roof or your roof and they become our responsibility, we pay for them like a parent pays for a child. If they don't live with us, if they live two houses down, go down two houses down and take a kid or, you know, a young person or anybody, a 40-year-old, 50-year-old, whatever, take them to the hospital. Tell them I'm res- you're responsible for their bills. Anybody going to do that? No, of course not. <laughs> then why would you want me to take care of whomever that lives 30 miles away from me that I don't know? What, what, sense, what is sensible and logical about that? Again, you're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. But I do have to cut this here. We're over an hour. Um, yes. I would like to continue this conversation, so I would definitely like to invite you back maybe after you're done the, uh, the, the, the tour you're about to go on. That way you can tell me about the tour, too. <laughs> you got it. Sounds good. All right, great. Guys, make sure you're checking out Breaking the Fourth Wall here on YouTube or on Anchor.fm or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. And, of course, check out all the other great podcasts of Realm of the Mist Entertainment, including It Had to Be Said with Venus, War of the Stars of Star Wars Podcasts, and After Hours. And, of course, check us out on all the social medias. And speaking of social medias, make sure you're checking out my man, uh, Scott Schwartz. He's on Facebook. I'm sure he's on all the other ones. Give him a shout-out. Guys, thank you very much and have a wonderful night.